So we're going through excuses Christians use for not keeping the Ten Commandments. And often they will have their favorite scripture to say and point to this one verse that says, look, I don't have to keep the law because the Bible says, and then they will go to their favorite scripture. So what I'm doing with this series of programs entitled Excuses Christians Use for Not Keeping the Ten Commandments is I'm trying to go through every excuse that I have ever heard from a Christian, small letter C, that they will use against or try to prove against the law of God or try to prove that they don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. Now this verse we're going to go through today is Galatians three and verse twenty four. This says this Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So how many Christians would view this is is like this. Once we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are no longer under the Ten Commandments. Now question, what does it mean to be under the law? Well, the way I understand that is to be under the penalty of the law. I don't think it's an issue of of we don't have to obey the law. I don't know why anyone would want to believe that they don't have to obey the Ten Commandments. Unless, of course, you're living your life in such a manner that the Ten Commandments condemns the way you're living. But to be under the law, the way I look at this is under the penalty. In other words, if you break the law, it claims your life. You are a sinner deserving of death. And so not under the law means to me you're not under the penalty. If you are a Christian, if you have uh, accepted Christ as your personal Savior, you've gone down in the waters of baptism, you've repented of your sin, which is a transgression of God's law, First John 3, 4, sin is the breaking of God's law. If you've done all that, as a true Christian with the Holy Spirit of God, when you mess up, and we all do, but when you fall short and you sin, then you're not under the penalty of the law. And the penalty for breaking the law, the law would require that your life to be given. So that's what it means to me not to be under the law. It doesn't mean that, okay, we don't have to obey the law, you see. Now, what a lot of Christians believe is this, not to be under the law means I don't have to obey the Ten Commandments. And they are wrong. They are dead wrong. Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. So before we get into this, let's let's look at some absolute facts from the Bible, some scriptures from the Bible that just nails it down what God expects of us. In Acts 5 and verse 32, it says this, And we are his witnesses of these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to them that obey him. So who does God give his Holy Spirit to? Uh, those that believe the law has been abolished. No, those that obey him. So what are we to obey? I mean, you know, 
what 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 did Jesus you know Jesus said if you love me keep my commandments well what commandments well what commandments do you think what commandments have been given to us throughout the entirety of the Bible okay so all right the Holy Spirit is given to them that obey him that there must be a willingness there must be a point of surrender unconditional surrender where you put up your little white flag and you say Lord I am sick and tired of doing things my way I surrender all I surrender my will to your will okay this is who God gives his spirit to all right Hebrews 5 and verse 9 and being made perfect now this is speaking of Jesus here being made perfect, he, Christ Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Ooh, wow. Look, okay, not just salvation, but eternal salvation Jesus gives to all them that obey him. Yeah, you know, let's just quit playing our little religious trivial games and realize where we stand with God. God, God's not going to spend eternity with a pack of rebels, okay? I mean, we just need to we need to just put that in your pipe and smoke it. God is not going to spend eternity with a pack of rebels. Would you spend eternity with a pack of rebels? Why would you want to? Does God want to? No, no. So if you're thinking, okay, I don't have to obey the Ten Commandments, I've just blown that crazy idea out of the water completely. So let's go back to this verse, the ones that, Christians often like to use. Galatians 3 and verse 24. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Now question, was the Ten Commandments a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ? Well, the only way I could see that is if you break the commandments, it claims your life. You are a sinner Therefore, you need a Savior. So in that sense, yeah, I can see how the Ten Commandments was a schoolmaster because if you break the law of God, it claims your life, and therefore you now need a Savior. So in that sense, yes, it could drive one uh, into a relationship with God because where else are you going to go? Once you realize that you are a sinner and you need grace, there's only one way you can go, and that is towards Christ Jesus. So in that sense, I can understand how it was a schoolmaster, at least in that one area. Now, the law was our schoolmaster. Let's ask this question. What law? You see, in the Bible, there are four categories of law. Number one, you have the moral law, which are the Ten Commandments. All right. You have Two, you have the culture laws. And the cultural laws consist of things like laws concerning slavery. And, you know, don't kid yourself in thinking there's no slavery today. If you, if you want to see probably the best biblical version of slavery, go visit a prison, and you'll have slavery still in existence. Now, slavery in the Bible, you know, a lot of people use the Bible to try to discredit God, and they say, well, the, the Bible taught slavery. And they th they're thinking of the African-American slave ships, you know, and they're thinking about our history of commercialized slavery. Well, this was not the slavery of the Bible. The slavery that you read about in the Bible is if a man was caught doing something wrong, like stealing, he could be put on the block and sold as a slave to pay off his debt. Okay, this was, the, I mean, it's not a bad idea. 
okay, working to pay off your debt. You could be sold as a slave until you paid off your debt. So this was the type of slavery that existed in the Bible. Also keep in mind that in ancient Israel, there was no such thing as incarceration. There were no prisons. You know, you were sentenced, and you were sentenced very quickly. If you killed, then you got the death penalty. If you stole something, you could be sold as a slave. And Anyway, the culture laws was was another type of law. Third, the sanitary laws. And the sanitary laws consisted of things like if you, let's see, the children of Israel, if you have to do number two, go outside the camp, dig a trench, and then cover it back up. And, of course, a cat knows how to do this by nature. Human beings have to be told, but but don't, don't, now let's understand something. There are countries that you could visit, nasty countries, where you would might see, you know, upstream a woman or a man or, you know, doing who knows what in the water, and then downstream someone washing their dishes in the same water. So, you know, the sanitary laws, we have to be told, and so... Uh, the food laws fit into this category, the sanitary laws, like clean and unclean meats, M- meats that are meant for human consumption, and then meats that are not meant for human consumption, like the scavengers, like the vulture, like the possum, like the pig. Oh, I bet you didn't know that one, did you? Yeah, the pig. Pork chops. <laughs> okay, food laws. These have to do with the sanitary laws. And then four, you had the sacrificial laws, which involved animal sacrifices. So let's go back to this again, Galatians 3, verse 24. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. What law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ? How a lot of Christians see this. I'm going to read this. I'm going to change this verse around just a little bit and read it how a lot of Christians seem to read it. Galatians 3 and verse 24. Wherefore, the moral law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under the moral law. So if we, if we say, okay, the Ten Commandments was our schoolmaster, and then we read it like I've just read it, it doesn't make any sense to say that, does it? Wherefore, the moral law, the Ten Commandments, was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under the moral law. That doesn't make a bit of sense. Why would you not be under the moral law after you come to Christ? I mean, is Christ not creating a new creature in Christ? Is he not developing the very characteristic of God inside of us? And is not the commandments a a type of morality of how to live your life, how to treat your neighbor, how to respond to God, how to worship God? Well, yeah. So, so why, why, once you come to Christ in faith, why would you not be under the moral law? Can you answer that question? I mean, what kind of a society can you expect to live in if there is no moral obligation to the law of God? Well, what you would have is a godless society. An evil and lawless society is what you would have. Now, we need to read the context of Galatians 3. Let's drop back to 3 and verse 19. It says, Wherefore then serve the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. 
Now, what law was added because of transgression, because of sin? I mean, did God look down and say, man, these people are sinning their butts off. They just keep sinning, and I need to give them some law. Is that how it worked? That guy just cheated on his wife, and I'll give him a law that says don't commit adultery. And that guy just stole something, and I'll give him a law that says don't steal. No, that, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, if we look at this, okay, the law was added, and we're asking what law? It was added because of transgressions. Okay, there were, there were laws being broken, and then there's additional laws that were added. You know, the idea that, that God added the Ten Commandments because people were breaking the Ten Commandments doesn't make a bit of sense. Here's, here's what you need to understand. Since the creation of mankind, moral law has always existed. Let me repeat that. Since man was created from the very day God, God created man, moral law has existed that governed that man. Did you know that you can go back and prove every one of the Ten Commandments that they existed before Exodus 20? Now, why is that important? Well, because before Exodus 20, that's when the giving of the Ten Commandments, where God wrote the the law with his own finger. But if we look back, you can prove, you know, you can prove every one of those commandments were in existence before they were given. I mean, you got the example of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. You know the story. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, lie with me. Yeah, man, what a trashy woman. I mean, here's, okay, lie with me. Go to bed with me. Like a soap opera, you know. But he refused. Now, notice this man of character here. He refused and said to his master's wife, look with me here. My master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my hand. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? I mean, here we have the sin of adultery being laid out, and he's saying, Joseph is saying, how can I do this and sin against God? Again, the moral law has existed since the creating of mankind. And then you have, in, in just a sort of a, a side note here in Genesis 7, verse 2, this is the example of Noah and the ark. And it says, of every clean beast you shall take to thee by seven, and male and his, fem- and his female. And of the beasts that are not clean by two, the male and female. Was Noah aware of the sanitary laws back then? I mean, here God is saying now, he's separating clean from unclean. He's separating these these clean from the scavenger animals. And he says, I want you to take seven of the clean and two of the unclean. Again, you know, the laws that govern man's morality have always existed. Okay, Galatians 3 and verse 19. Wherefore then served the law, it was added because of transgression till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by an angel in the hand of a mediator. What law was added because of sin? Well, there's only one law that I know of, and that is the sacrificial laws, animal sacrifices, and that which all pointed to Jesus Christ. Now, how can I say that, that the sacrificial system pointed to Jesus Christ? Well, you remember the story in John 1 and verse 29, 
The next day, John sees Jesus coming into him, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. You know, this is so rich in symbolism. I mean, I don't know how the Holy Spirit revealed this to John, but he makes this connection, the Lamb of God, referring back to the Passover lambs that were slaughtered in the temple, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. When we consider this, that animal sacrifices, the reason there are no animal sacrifices today is because there is no temple and no priesthood. Now, a lot of people don't understand this. That, that, and again, let me repeat this. The reason you don't tune in to world news and see over in Jerusalem the Jews offering animal, animal sacrifices is simply because there is no temple and there is no Levitical priesthood. If there were still a temple... And if there were still a Levitical priesthood, those sacrifices would still be going on today. Now, understand this point. Once you came to Jesus in faith, once an individual who's offering his sacrifices came to Christ in faith, he no longer needs to participate in the animal sacrifices. It is a schoolmaster that leads one to Christ. You see, the sacrificial system was theatrical, now, what do I mean by theatrical? Well, uh, the best way I can explain it now, think about Christmas. Okay. Now, I know Christmas is it, it, it's a pagan celebration. It really is. And I really question whether it's pleasing to God. I know it's not pleasing when we abandon God's holy days that are actually in the Bible and we substitute our own Christian holidays of how we will worship God. I know that it's not pleasing to God. But and people get upset when I talk about, you know, Christmas is pagan and all that. But I want to give you an example here. You know, people have a lot invested in their Christmas celebration. And it's not just words. It's not just, oh, we believe Jesus was born. People do things at Christmas time. It's theatrical. It's hands-on. It's, the, you know, they, they decorate a tree. They put it in their house. Well, first they put it in their house, and then they decorate it. Okay. Uh, and they swap gifts. They're with their families. They eat great meals. There's time together. Uh, people give at Christmas probably more than any other time of the year. They give to Salvation Army and all that. So what I'm saying is it's not just – it goes beyond just words – People are doing something at Christmas time. There's a spirit about Christmas, you know. And uh, so it's theatrical what people do. Now, yeah, we can question over whether it's right or not. Shop till you drop and all that stuff. And, you know, is it really all about Jesus? You know, is Jesus really up in heaven saying, wow, look at all that money that guy spent. Look at all those gifts, you know. Anyway, what I'm saying is the sacrificial system was theatrical. You didn't just take your lamb to the priest and throw it at the priest and say, here, sacrifice that thing for me. Oh, no, 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 no. It was theatric. You had involvement here. I mean, first of all, consider the lamb of God. Consider a lamb that you would take out of your flocks. And, you know, they're cute, little baby lambs or whatever. And, it, and your lamb had to be without blemish. You couldn't take some diseased, you know, one-legged lamb up there. It had to be without blemish. It had to be perfect. You know, and you, you carry your lamb. And, you know, I mean, this was it, was, it was for the family, you know. It's family involvement here. 
did you get attached to this little lamb? Did the children get attached to it? And you carry your lamb to the priest, to the temple, and then maybe the little lamb is sucking on your finger. It it was hands-on. You didn't, you know, the priest would guide your hand with the knife and you would thrust upward and the blood would spill. You'd slit its throat. And, you know, the sight of blood has a profound effect on people. It's visual, you know, blood, and blood has a certain smell about it. And I just imagine you went away from that experience deeply touched, deeply moved. When you realize my stupidity, my sin caused the death of this little animal, you know, and without what you learned was without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And it all pointed to the Lamb of God, Christ Jesus, who takes away the sins of the world. There is no way you could participate in this with a lackadaisical, you know, sort of like we have today. I mean, you've got people, well, we all sin, you know, and I sin, you sin, I'm probably getting ready to sin right now, and oh, if I sin, I'll go to church Sunday and ask for forgiveness, and, you know, there was none of this, you know, there was none of the. I mean, what you see today are people, well, I, you know, in their 80s, you know, I'm about ready to kick the bucket, I'm gasping for my last breath, and I invite Jesus into my heart, and I ask for forgiveness of my sins. Deathbed repentance. I'll live my life for myself until that last dying moment. No. No, you see, this drove people into a relationship with God. I mean, very early, I believe, because it was a family thing, and it was a community thing, and and you realize, okay, I don't want to do this. I don't want to sacrifice this animal. I, I, I want to do, I want to come to faith in Jesus and no longer have to do this, you see. Oh, yeah, it was a powerful schoolmaster that led one into a relationship to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting is, if you read Ezekiel chapters 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, you read about a vision of the new temple. And and what what you see in these scriptures is you have the millennium, you have... You know, you have the Valley of Dry Bones and the resurrection of the rest of the dead. And as you continue reading through these chapters, you have, well, actually, the, the Valley of Dry Bones is in Ezekiel 37. But as you continue to read, and you realize this is, in, this is futuristic. This is in the future. Christ is returning. He's establishing his kingdom on this earth. And you have this vision of a new temple and the outer courts and the inner courts and the north gate and the south gate. And the glory of the Lord fills the temple once again. You have the altar. And what's the altar doing here now? I mean, Christ returns, and we've got a temple erected. We've got an altar. And when you got Ezekiel 43 and verse 18, it says, And he said to me, Son of man, thus says the Lord God, These are the ordinances of the altar in the day when they shall make it to offer burnt offerings thereon and to sprinkle blood thereon. What I see in the future is these sacrifices are once again going to be given when Christ returns. Now, you ask the question, well, why? Why would God establish, reestablish the temple and the Levitical priesthood and animal sacrifices? Why? You see, the problem is people have such a disdain for God's law. They really do. All of God's law. But yeah, especially even here, 
Oh, that old harsh God killing all those animals. I don't want nothing to do with God like that. You know, I mean, look, I like animals. I've got a cat. His name is Renegade. I love my cat. I got a dog. I like my dog. Dogs are getting old. You know, he's probably going to die before too long. And I, you know, I like animals. I like cows. They taste good. Yeah. Uh, you know, but, but people have this disdain for God's law. And when it comes, came to this sacrificial system, here's the point. Either you died or the animal dies in your place. Take your pick. Okay, take your pick. Which, which will it be? Either you're going to die or the animal dies in your place. So why would these, the sacrificial laws start back when Christ returns? So let me explain something here. After the reign of Christ for a thousand years on this earth, you're going to have something called the second resurrection or, or the rest of the dead when the rest of the dead are raised. And you're going to have, oh my goodness, when you think about the 6,000 year history of mankind on this earth, you think about some of the pagan practices of child sacrifice that we're still doing today with abortion. Uh, you think about all of the millions of people who died, who never, who were pagan to the core, didn't know. You think about Eastern religions, Hinduism, Buddhism. You think about all of these people are going to, it's going to be billions of people resurrected. There's going to be religions of like voodoo, Africa. There, some of the religion is voodoo. They don't know anything about God. They need to understand the basics. And what's the basics? The basics is without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Something has to die in your place. Now, what better way to teach these pagan heathen nations who know absolutely nothing about God, who died in their ignorance, who are going to be given a chance for salvation, their first chance for salvation, what better way to teach them than through the sacrificial system? which will lead them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, once these people come to Christ in faith, I'm talking about in the future, I'm talking about when Christ returns, sets up his kingdom on this earth, I'm talking about the rest of the dead are raised. You know, once these people come to Christ, the real Lamb of God, in faith, they no, they no longer have to participate in the animal sacrifices. What I'm saying is, the sacrifices was a theatrical teaching tool, and it was powerful. I mean, absolutely powerful. So let's go back to this. Galatians 3 and verse 19. Wherefore then, serve the law, it was added because of transgression, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. What law was added because of transgression, because of sin? Well, it was the sacrificial laws, animal sacrifices that all pointed to Jesus Christ. And then we conclude with Galatians 3 and verse 24. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. The sacrificial laws led them to the point of accepting Jesus Christ the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. This could not be talking about the Ten Commandments, the moral law. It can't be talking about that. 
Because it doesn't make any sense to say, but after that faith has come, we are no longer under the laws of morality. That doesn't make a bit of sense. You know, so many people believe that God went around giving bad laws. You know, and I don't know how a a so-called Christian worships a God that believes that he went around giving bad laws. I mean, it'd be hard for me to worship a God like that. My conviction is this. God never gave a bad law, including the sacrificial laws. Let's turn back to Hebrews 10 and verse 8. It says, And above when he said, Sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin thou would have not, neither had pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. Now, this tells us something interesting, that, that God didn't take any pleasure in the sacrificial offerings. Now, why? Why didn't he take any pleasure in them? Well, there's a reason, and we're coming to the reason. Hebrews 10, verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every high priest stands daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. That's the reason God didn't like, didn't have any pleasure in the sacrificial laws, because he knew they could never take away sin. That would take the grace of his son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, dying for our sins. Animal sacrifices could not take away sin. That was not their purpose. But it could sure teach a man a valuable lesson, and that is without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, and all of it pointed to Jesus Christ. It was a schoolmaster that led them into faith in Christ Jesus, the Lamb of God. Hebrews 10 and verse 12, But this man, speaking of Jesus, but after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, Forever set down on the right hand of God. To be delivered from sin, you've got to have three things. Okay, number one, forgiveness of your past sins. Yeah, forgiveness of your past sins. Two, a daily high priest who sits at the right hand of God, because we still make mistakes. Even though you've, you've, you've gone down in the waters of baptism, you've, you've received the Spirit of God, we still fall short. And that For that reason, you've got to have a daily high priest who's in the temple, ready to forgive us when we fall short. And third thing you got to have to be delivered from your sin is God the Father and Christ the Son living on the inside of you. Notice John 14, verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, "If, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. This is what you call real power. I mean, if you want to talk about the power of God's Holy Spirit, here it is. It's when the Father and the Son move into your tabernacle, and they live there. This is real power. This is the real power of the Holy Spirit. Christ, the Son, and the Father living inside of your temple. Well, I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? Reminding you, never, ever forget this point right here I'm, I'm about to give you that god has never given a bad law for more information check us out online at is that really in the bible.net 
Listen to the podcast. Watch the weekly program. Worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service. And be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is isthatreallyinthebible.net.